Welcome to Beyond the Benediction. This podcast is created for the exploration of the Bible, the examination of the church, and the expectation of the Christian life. We will cover topics that will both challenge and encourage you and help us to live lives dedicated to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Kevin Toomer. This is the Beyond the Benediction podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Toomer. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week's episode, You Can Judge Me, Why Christians Are Supposed to Judge. Those who are not Christians, usually when they're uh, confronted or someone makes a comment about their lifestyle or something they're doing that goes against the word and the will of God, the phrase, you can't judge me, is usually the first thing that you hear. Those of you who are Christians who participate in any type of evangelistic endeavor, you've heard this phrase before. And even Christians, when they're in a situation where they're caught in some kind of sin or they feel like they've been pushed in a corner because uh, they've been held accountable for not living according to the standards of God, they're quick to say that you can't judge me, that only God can judge me. And well, that's what we're going to talk about today. That's a very common statement, but it's also a very incorrect and erroneous statement. While the final judgment for all of us comes from Christ, Jesus is going to judge all of us ultimately for the lives that we live. As the scripture says, uh, God's going to hold us accountable for every idle word we say and everything we do will be laid bare and we have to give an account for it. So all of us ultimately will be judged by Jesus Christ. But while we're here on earth and while we're waiting for him to return, we are still called to make judgments. And we make judgments every day. It, it doesn't matter in, in what context you find yourself in, whether we're talking about a religious context or just day-to-day living. We all make judgment calls. But what's interesting is people who, when they're caught in some kind of situation or they're taken to task because of their lifestyle, they're quick to say, you can't judge me. But if we really want to dig deeper, what people usually say, and again, this is another case of why we as Christians need to know the Bible for ourselves. What people usually like to say to you is the Bible says, don't judge people. And that's an actual scripture in the Bible. And that's an actual quote from Jesus Christ. He does say, and I'm going to restart off the scripture, Matthew chapter seven, starting at verse one. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. So when they say that, they are absolutely correct that Jesus did say, do not judge or you will be judged. But they are still absolutely wrong in the sense of they need to continue the conversation. And that's the problem that a lot of people have, Christians or not, when they take scriptures out of context, you don't get the full brunt of what the scripture is saying. So let's look at the same scripture, Matthew chapter seven. And I just read verse one, but let's keep reading from verse one all the way to verse five. Start at verse one. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now look what it says. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So it seems like those who use this scripture seem like they're on the right page. Now let's keep going. Verse three, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Again, 
on the surface, it seemed like these people were saying, see, Jesus is saying, take care of home before you start judging me. All right, let's keep going. Verse four. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. All the time, there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. So Jesus is already laying down the law. But look at what it says. Verse five. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So now when you get all five verses and you get the full context, you see that Jesus is not saying not to judge at all. He's saying, put yourself in a position so you can judge justly. He's saying, first, remove the plank out of your own eye, get your own house in order. And when you do, it will give you two things. It will allow you first to see clearly so you can make a better judgment. And then you can help to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So what happens here is that people, again, using scriptures out of context to kind of support what they want to do. Because I've talked about this before in another episode, that people tend to use scripture out of context to back the behavior that they know that God is not pleased with. And what's ironic is the same people who say you can't judge them are judging you by making that statement. (laughs) Think about that. They're making a judgment themselves by even saying you're judging them. And what's also interesting that people try to have this whole idea of this is my truth and and you can't judge me. I'm living my truth. Well, the person who says that it's their truth, their truth is really just another way of saying their feelings. Because that's what's true for them. Now, you may feel a certain way based on something that happened to you, but that doesn't make what happened to you the universal truth for everyone. And then let's take it another step further. Those who are not Christian will say, well, how a person lives, whether they live according to the will of God, why do you care? Why should we as Christians care? As long as we're saved and we're living according to God, if a person decides they don't want to do the right thing, they don't want to live according to God's standard, why should we care? Well, because if we are Christians and we are made in the image of God and we have the spirit of God living in us, then the things that bother God should bother us. And keep in mind, when you do judge someone, you aren't judging them by the standard that you have. You're judging them by the standard that all of us will be judged by. So the same judgment that you're allowing them to see, the same standard you're holding them to, is the same standard that you and I are going to be held to. Because remember, Christians aren't flawless. They are just redeemed from the penalty of their flaws. And for reasons why we have to judge people is because we have to make sure people are living up to God's standard. We want to make sure we the things that bother God bother us. But also the devil and the person's flesh work in conjunction to make you and I think that God's way, his purpose and his standards are not good enough to meet our needs. And usually the biggest critics of God's ways haven't ever tried his way. They've decided to live the way they want to live. So they're hesitant to do things his way. But as Christians, we are called to judge, but there is a way we're supposed to judge. So I'm going to give us quickly four ways that we are supposed to judge and do so correctly as Christians. 
the first thing we need to make sure we do when we judge, we have to judge from the right standard. Basically meaning that we got to make sure they understand that the standard they're being held to is not your standard. It's not my standard. It's the Lord's standard. We have to make sure they understand that by them living a certain way, ultimately, they don't have to answer to you and I. They have to answer to him. But let me give you a scripture. First Corinthians chapter five, starting at verse nine. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheap people or those who worship idols, because you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those who are inside the church who are sinning. Three verses that are so powerful. Paul is saying we can't just disassociate ourselves from the world because the world is full of sinners. But what he's saying specifically, those who claim to be Christian, those who indulge in these sins and know that they're wrong and have no desire to change. He says, don't even associate with them. Now, of course, let me give you some context. This was talking about the church being formed at that time. But he's saying. If you are in the church, if you part of the body of Christ, if you are involved in any of the things that he listed, sexual sin. And a lot of times when we think about this stuff, we focus on the sexual sin. But look at what it says. People who are greedy, who are abusive, who cheat people. You see those things? Those are kind of things that we should be judging someone. If you call yourself a Christian and you're going around swindling people. If you're going around being drunk, if you're going around being abusive, then Paul is saying we need to make a judgment that says this person is not fit for us to associate with. But he's saying the standard is not the standard he came up with. This is what God says is the standard. And he says we do have a responsibility to judge those who are inside the body of Christ who are sinning. So and that includes you and I. Just because you may be in a position where you can judge that person because they've done wrong, you are also subject to the same judgment because you're being held to the same standard. Let me give you one more scripture. This is Romans chapter one, starting at verse 28. It's right after Paul talks about the sin of of homosexuality. Verse 28 says, and because they thought it was worthless to acknowledge God, God allowed their own immoral minds to control them. So they do these indecent things. Their lives are filled with all kinds of sexual sins, wickedness, and greed. They are mean. They are filled with envy, murder, quarreling, deceit, and viciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, haughty, arrogant, and boastful. They think of new ways to be cruel. They don't obey their parents. They don't have any sense. They don't keep promises. They don't show love to their own families or mercy to others. Now, here's the kick in verse 32. Although they know God's judgment that those who do such things deserve to die, 
they not only do these things, but approve of others. Now, look at all the things that Paul listed. Again, when we talk about judging and you're going to confront someone about a situation, usually the hot button topic is sexuality. A hot button issue is any kind of sexual immorality. And he does mention this again, giving you the context. The first verses before verse 28, he deals specifically with that. But look at the things that he's listed. Envy, quarreling, deceit, gossips, slanderers, haughty, arrogant, boastful. And not only that, it says they not only know that God's judgment is there, they approve of others who do these things. Wow. Paul is making it clear in both his letter to the Corinthians and his letter to the Romans that the standard is not his. He's saying this is what God says. As we said in verse 32, God's judgment that he does not approve of these things. So when you do call a brother or sister and you do execute some kind of judgment or call them out on their sin, remind them, here's the standard. This is what God says, how we should conduct ourselves. And here's how you're not meeting that standard. You have to make it abundantly clear that you are not pointing the finger from your perspective. You're pointing the finger from God's perspective. That person did not sin against you. That person sinned against God. So when we make that judgment call for that brother or sister, we have to make sure that we're doing it from the right standard, the standard that Jesus Christ has set. So now the second way we can make sure we judge correctly is we must judge with the right perspective, meaning we have to be humble when we judge someone. When we're calling someone out on their sin, we can't look at it from a perspective of it. We got our act together so we can look down on someone who's a sinner. And the reason why we can't do that, scripture explains it better than I ever could. Titus chapter two, starting at verse three, it says, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil, and we hated each other. But, verse 4, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He graciously poured out his spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In verse 7, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. So you see in those four verses, Paul is saying in his letter to Titus that we were in a position where we were foolish. We were disobedient. And the, the reason that we're in right standing with God is not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. So when you do call someone out on a behavior that is not pleasing to God, you do so from a perspective of saying, hey, I'm just as fallen as you are. I'm just as broken as you are. Could it be that those opportunities where we are supposed to judge someone, it's not received well because we come off as if we really are in a position where we're better than that person? If you're a Christian, the salvation that you enjoy, the salvation that you receive has come in spite of your behavior not because of your behavior. No matter how good you live or try to live, no matter how many church services you attend, no matter how many ministries you participate in, 
you are still unworthy of the salvation you have. Ephesians makes it clear it is a gift from God, not by works. So none of us are in a position to boast about the salvation we have. You can never boast about something you were given. You can boast about something that you've earned. And none of us have earned salvation. All of us have been given salvation. One more scripture and I'll move to the next point. Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Why? Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Look at what Paul is saying. Again, that spirit of humility. In this case, he's talking about people who are judging someone for something that they're guilty of doing themselves. So it even goes back to the scripture I read in the beginning of the podcast of Matthew chapter seven, when Jesus says, take that plank out of your eye. Paul is pretty much following up that scripture because he's saying you can't judge someone about something that you're embroiled in yourself. If you realize you're struggling in that area, then you are not in a position to throw out judgment for someone if you yourself are doing the same sin. Now, that's not to say that we're going to be ever sinless, but you need to make sure you've repented, make sure you've gone to God and make sure that he's cleansed you of that before you put yourself in a position to judge someone. Because again, this is another reason why someone may not be receptive, especially if they know that you're involved in the same thing. Now you really do look like a hypocrite, as Jesus said, because now who are you to tell me I shouldn't steal if you've been stealing? Who are you to tell me I shouldn't lust if you've been lusting? Who are you to tell me that I shouldn't cheat people if you've been cheating people? So, again, I mentioned this in a previous episode. As Christians, we need to try our best to live lives that are above reproach and not just to those who are on the outside, but to those who. On the inside, that's why when you hear stories of people who are prominent in Christianity and they've had some kind of moral failing, I'm not going to name any names for this episode. It hurts so badly because we've expected these people to live in a certain way, because if you're a person of authority, you're a person of leadership, we expect that person to behave and conduct themselves in a certain manner. So it seems so much more egregious when a leader has a moral feeling. But two things we need to consider when that happens. One, just because someone is in leadership does not mean that they don't sin. If anything, the fact that they're in leadership, they're a bigger target for more temptation and more trouble from the enemy. So that's the first thing. If a person is in leadership, doesn't mean they don't sin. And secondly, we got to make sure we don't put people in that position where we make them think that they're above it, that we don't put leadership in a position where it seems as if they feel like they're impervious. They feel like they're Teflon, that it doesn't matter because I'm a prominent pastor, because I'm a prominent leader, because I'm a prominent evangelist or I'm a prominent uh, apologist. Then that means that I'm above reproach. 
and because you put me on this pedestal. Remember, every position a person has in Christianity, whether it's a pastor, a preacher, whatever it is, God has allowed that person to go to that place. God has promoted them. But we don't look at that person because they're in a position of authority as if somehow they're superior to us and they have more anointing than us or the spirit is in them or it's in us. We have to look at them as just someone who has a different role from us, but they have the same struggles as us. So we have to make sure that we're coming with the right perspective, realizing, but for the grace of God, there go I. That the same thing you're struggling with, God had to deliver me from that. So I'm not saying as I call you to the standard that I'm better than you. I'm in the same boat you are. So that's why I can tell you that the standard that I'm holding you to in this situation, I myself am, am, am being held to that same standard. Next one. You must make sure that you judge using the right demeanor. Meaning, not just being humble, but being gentle, being compassionate, being considerate. I've mentioned this in many podcasts, and I'm just going to reiterate it again, that when it comes to judging someone, you're letting them know that they're wrong. They've messed up. They've fallen short of the glory of God. And again, no one wants to be made a spectacle of or made to feel like they're wrong, especially if they feel like that they've been doing the right thing, especially if, if society cosigns and makes them think that they've been doing the right thing. But we know that society does not dictate how we should live our lives. The word of God dictates how we should live our lives. Here's a scripture. Galatians chapter six, starting at verse one. My friends, if someone is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, those who are spiritual should set him right. So we already have a permission to judge. But look at what it says. But you must do it in a gentle way. Wow. I could stop right there. That's just verse one. But let me keep going. And look at what it says. And keep an eye on yourselves so that you will not be tempted too. So not only do you need to be careful in how you approach someone but and be humble and gentle, but you have to be on your guard to make sure you don't get tempted to fall like they did. Let's keep going. Verse two, help carry another's burdens. And in this way, you obey the law of Christ. Now, verse three, if you think you are something when you really are nothing, <laughs> you are only deceiving yourself. So again, right demeanor, kind considerate, humble. We have to make sure we show the grace and the love of God. Verse four, you should each judge your own conduct. If it is good, then you can be proud of what you yourself have done without having to compare it with what someone else has done. Wow. These scriptures are amazing, family. I really hope even though I'm going through these scriptures when I do these podcasts, it's my prayer that you go afterwards. And read these for yourself because they're so powerful. First four, you got to judge your own conduct. You got to make sure, again, that your life is in a position where you're above reproach. And then if it's good, look what it says. You can be proud of it in the sense of that God has used you and without comparing it with what someone else has done. So let me say this as a point. There should be no such thing as personal pride when it comes to being a Christian. 
What do I mean by that? Because everything we've ever done for Christ, Christ had to give us the power to do it. You could not do anything for Christ without him. You could not read the scriptures and explain them to someone without him. You cannot lead someone to Christ without him. You cannot even stand firm on your own salvation without Christ. So he's making it clear, Paul is, that we must do this in a gentle way. One more scripture and we'll move to the last point. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 24. This is the living Bible version. I like the way this is worded. Verse 24, it says, God's people must not be quarrelsome. Look at what it says. They must be gentle, patient teachers of those who are wrong. Those who you've judged to have fallen short. See that? Verse 25. Be humble. I can stop right there. Be humble when you are trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly and courteously to them, they are more likely with God's help to turn away from their wrong ideas and believe what is true. Verse 26. Then this is so awesome. They will come to their senses and escape from Satan's trap of slavery to sin, which he used to catch them whenever he likes, and they can begin doing the will of God. You see what happens? You know the old cliche, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar? This is kind of a similar thing. You never know. Sometimes it could be people who know they're wrong, but they're turned off by the way that we approach them when we're holding them up to the stand of God. But if we're humble, if we're meek, and we're genuine and we're patient. We're letting them know that, hey, I'm doing this in love. I'm telling you this because I love you. And because God says this is the standard. And because I love you, brother, sister, I got to let you know that God is not pleased with your actions. God is not pleased with your behavior. And here's the standard that he expects from you and I. If you do so with love and gentleness, then it says maybe they will come to their senses and turn away from their sin. So we have to make sure we do that. Last point and we're done. We have to make sure that we judge with providing the right solution. So it's one thing to point out wrongdoings and to point out someone who's falling short, but we don't stop there. We don't stop and just let that person deal in regret. We want them to repent and then we want them to be restored. James chapter five, starting at verse 19. It says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So you see that? Letting them know that this is the solution. Yes, you've fallen short. God is not pleased, but God still loves you. He's full of grace, his mercy. Is new every morning, you can turn back to him. Let them know that they have fallen short, but the story isn't over. That there's still hope for them and they can come back to Jesus. One of my most powerful examples of this, you can read this in your leisure, is the parable of the prodigal son, showing how the father welcomed his wayward son back, even though he had fallen, even though he had done so many wrong things and pretty much disrespecting him completely. That's a great picture of how you and I treat God. But even with all of his dysfunction and his evil and his wastefulness, 
when he came to the father, the scripture says the father ran to him, arms wide open. And that's how God comes to you and I, arms wide open, still ready to receive us and restore us. One more scripture and we're done. First John chapter one, verse eight and nine. If we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and from all wickedness. See that scripture? So that's the part that we want to leave that person with. That you want to hold them to the standard. You want to have the right perspective. You want to have the right motives. But then you let them know that, hey, God is not going to leave you in this position, a place where you're just brooding and just regret and despair because you've disappointed him yet again. He is waiting and willing to restore you. Says if we confess, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. So when you and I, even though we're subject to judgment, when we fall short, God is not sitting back waiting to drop the hammer. He's there, arms wide open, waiting to receive us, waiting to restore us. And that's the part when you judge a brother or sister, you want to let them know that God is still in love with them, that God is still waiting arms wide open. And even those who, when you spread the gospel to, who may not be Christian, that's an important part you want to deposit with them. You want to let them know that you may not believe in Jesus Christ, but he loves you. He died for your sins and he's waiting to receive you. Yes, you've lived a life that is not pleasing, but he's waiting for you. He can heal you. He can restore you. He can reshape you. You can be born again if you'd only turn to him. And that's the part that makes the judging a mandatory thing for us as Christians, because all of us have times and situations where we strayed from the ways of God. But if we make sure we judge from the right standard, from the right perspective, using the right demeanor and providing the right solution, which is Jesus himself, then we are doing the best thing we could by judging someone and leading them back to the open arms of our Lord and Savior. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope that this blessed you. And as always, make sure your light shines brightest for the Lord Jesus Christ beyond the benediction. Until next time. Thank you.